before we get to our first episode of the year featuring senior market strategist Chris Prybull, I want to tell you about our newest product, Schaefer's Playbook of the Day. It's a VIP access-only feature with members capped at 100 to start. as a live Q&A every Monday at 8.45 a.m. Eastern Time. You'll hear the trading experts take on the current market, hot sectors, a primer on specific usage of Schaefer's proprietary trading analyses, a deep dive into an equity at the top of our watch list for the week, um, and a complete question and answer session. Awesome stuff all around. Subscribers will also have access to a recorded copy of all events in the past 90 days, available on the My Account section of SchaeferSresearch.com. Very excited to roll this out. Dial 1-800-448-2080 to sign up. That's 1-800-448-2080. Without further ado, here's Chris Pribble. Folks, welcome back to Schaefer's Market Mashup. I am pumped to bring you the first episode of 2022. Thanks again to all who listened last year, as well as everyone that came on the show to talk stocks, options trading, and, well, everything under the sun. I am thrilled to bring back Schaefer's senior market strategist, Chris Pribble, for his third time. We're going to talk some recent big winners, his trading philosophy and technique, some 2022 outlook, uh, you know, and what else? Um, But first, you know, Chris, Happy New Year. How are you? Happy New Year to you, Patrick. Excited to be here. Great. You have had some killer trades lately over at Schaefer's, but, you know, that's nothing new. Um, What are some connective threads between your recent winners? Uh, Feel free to get as specific as you'd like. Recently, there's been a shift from mid-last year, beginning of last year, the growth names, the meme stocks, the SPAC craze. That was the driver of any outsized gains in the market. And as the year wore on, there was a shift to value and a shift to lower beta names, which I don't know how many of our listeners follow beta. Uh, It's generally described as the stock or an instrument's reaction to the change in the overall market. So if you've got an option that moves up when the market moves up a lot, it, it's going to have a higher beta. So your your software technology, those names that did not have earnings per share but were outperforming, those are higher beta names. And if you go to something like a Kroger or a Clorox, those will be about a zero beta or very low beta. So you can kind of see the differentiation with how the market reacts over time. And that kind of tells you where the strength is. And it's no... It's not a surprise to see the market weakness, knowing uh, the fundamentals that we had in place and the Fed policy and how it was changing over time. Um, So recently, a company called Lyondell Basel, it's a European chemical company, that has been doing very well. And a company called Hewlett Packard, which is not a new company, but they've been performing very well in their earnings and their revenue. And then... uh, Kroger was a, another recent winner that I still like uh, to this day. It looks like a solid setup. A couple of your recent trades I'm looking through now here. I see uh, 
Yeah, I see the HP, 249% return. Uh, I see also a Foot Locker from December, 259% return. Walk me through. Uh, that was Ford Motor, Ford Motor. Oh, yeah, Ford the option. Oh, the, op the option symbol was listed on that trade you saw there. Ah, see what you're okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was Ford. That's another another name I like a lot going into the new year. In fact, it was one of my business career, Cincinnati business career, uh, five stock picks that they do for the new year. So I expect Ford to have a great year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I also see Pfizer on here, 324% return. I mean, classic AMD. <laughs> that, that, was, that was your big hitter from the summer. Yeah, I've hit AMD. That it's something we talked about on the last podcast that you, if you're looking for trade ideas, just return to your winners. Go back to your trading diary and your log and look at what you were good at because oh, what you'll find over time, you have a better feeling and understanding for that company's fundamentals, their technicals, um, the sentiment around the stock versus something that's new to you. Does that make sense? You just have a, you have, you have a better grasp of its price action over time when you trade things that are not new to you, you know, they're, they're old trading ideas, just you're putting them on at a new time. Yeah. You don't always have to be hunting around for the latest flavor of the week. It's never really a good idea because what you'll find is that you're chasing the flashy pan and you'll be left as the last buyer of resort. And then when it turns against you, you'll say to yourself, how, how could I be that dumb? So it's almost you have to do your own research and find situations that are not in the public's domain, that they're not talking about on Bloomberg and CNBC incessantly. You want to go to the parts of the market that no one is paying attention to while they have fundamental characteristics that are supportive, the technicals are supportive, yet no one's talking about because yeah. eventually when they start to outperform, then you'll get the rush of money into that sector. And that will allow you as a short-term option trader to cash out. Mm -hmm. Reminds me of the, uh, the magazine cover fallacy. Or the, yeah. one, the one right now is the, uh, the stadium, naming your, your stadium, the stadium rights like Sophie. Sure, mm -hmm. it's a great company and it'll do well, but the amount of money that they parlay to get the naming rights may not make sense from a business point of view. While you get your name out there, it's a marketing push. Is it the best strategy? And over time, we've seen that it has not been. Yeah, what is, um, where was the Staples Center? Which I loved how people were so up in arms about changing the name of the Staples Center, which it's like, guys, Staples <laughs> is a yeah. company too. Uh, and I know I get the whole crypto thing and how that, you know, it's, it's an easy target. Um, and you can there's ar a, argue whether that's there's a, a disgrace or not, but go ahead. Well, there's a crypto.com arena now as well. I think that's, isn't that what the Lakers arena is now? I think that's what Staples became or it was becoming. It, it, it's um, amazing. You mentioned the magazine cover. It's amazing when the financial media gravitates towards an idea and it's posted everywhere that usually marks the top because it's a sign that everyone 
his committed capital to this idea. Mm-hmm. And if everyone is committed capital and there's any type of negative or adverse news that undercuts the belief system of that capital, it's quick to sell. It's quick to sell off. I mean, you see these violent drops and you're like, man, these short sellers, you know, it's unfair. It should be a lot higher. And it's not always the short sellers. It's just the rush of people wanting to cash out because they realize that it, it's a, the trade is, uh, it's, it's just not, it's too popular. Yeah. Trades, when trades become too popular, it's a warning sign. Mm-hmm. It's it, this underscores the contrarian trading philosophy that we have over at Schaefer's. Um, but I do want to focus more on yourself here for a second. I've always been curious about an investor's daily routine, breaking it down even to like, do you wake up and just pull up market watch and start browsing? You mentioned before how you kind of have a proclivity to go back to previous winners. How often do you check social media and how do you weigh social media? Are you watching Bloomberg? What, walk me through some of your processes on a day-to-day basis. One of my New Year's resolutions was to get more involved in the social media aspect. Uh, not that I'm from a different generation. Uh, I used to be involved with it, but it was just, to me, it's just a lot of noise and it's a lot of people's opinion who these people may or may not be qualified. So you don't really know where they're coming from. Um, you don't know where the book is. You don't know where their money is. I start out the day flipping between CNBC and Bloomberg on the television. And I'll watch their programs and I'm very, I know all the analysts and the commentators on each of the shows and I can just get a grasp of you know their, their general opinion of the market flow. You get the sense of the news flow of the day. I'll pull up on our icon system any pre-market movers up or down and where the volume is pre-market. And then I'll look in FinViz, I'll go to their futures page, which lists probably 30 or 40 separate instruments in chart form. So you can get a visual of what type of day you're going to be dealing with, whether it's going to be, you know, downside protection day or whether you know it, it, the market's going to move up so it, I like I said I'm going to try to get back into the social media I'm sure there is value there but for me to keep things simple I start out with the television programs in the morning yep I like that streamlined approach especially because if you become so overzealous or you go down the social media rabbit hole it can feel very overwhelming. And at first, when you're clicking through Twitter, you're clicking through stock twits or Reddit or or anything or whatever the flavor of the week is, it can be exciting to absorb all this information. But then I think there is definitely like a breaking point, become overwhelmed. And so I think social media is great as like a, as a tool, not as like your defining trait when you're going through a day-to-day process. Due to the, the job that I have at Schaefer's and the indicators we have internally, I'm never not overwhelmed. Like there's always an indicator set, whether it's commitment of traders or whether it's our daily buy to open or sell to open option activity, or whether it's the OI changes that I route from trade alert 
And then the bespoke emails, you see how many bespoke studies come through. And then we got internal studies from Rocky. There's so many internal data points that I could spend all day just focused on our data where I don't need social media's opinion or their thoughts. I've got enough fodder internally that, you know, it's best for me and the company that I stay within my lanes of Schaefer's data and getting the most out of that data for our internal clients and then obviously our external subscribers. I'm glad you brought up the sentiment indicators. Uh, one of the bigger well, ones. Patrick, yeah, Patrick we're, we're unbiased at Schaefer's. We don't represent the buy side or the sell side. We're in between. So it's a different organization that you are looking for information from. It's not, it's very unique uh, organization from that point of view. Yep, I agree. Very well said. One of the bigger sentiment indicators that you referenced, uh, especially for options trading, was the buy to open ratios. And why are these important indicators to track for options trading? It's kind of the, the sentiment over of the overall options market. When there's a euphoric time like we've experienced last year, you'll see a preponderance of call buying versus put buying. And then when the market rolls over and turns and gets upset and you see selling like we've seen, you'll see an uptick in the buy to open puts versus the buy to open calls because people get scared and fearful. They stop buying the calls and there's a rush to buy puts to hedge. So you'll, you'll get a cycle or a wave in the indicator. And as you get a, a, a higher put propensity, you'll see that the market tends to bottom out and trough. And then when you see everyone searching for the calls in a very euphoric nature, you'll see a tendency of the market to top out because there's no more buyers left. Just like there could be right now a, a period where we get tired of selling. There's no one that wants to sell any additional shares. They're comfortable with their risk position relative to the market. Mm -hmm. And I think what's important is, is what your charts indicate is overlaying these BTO ratios with an index performance like the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ to show the correlation between the two. Exactly. And we have seen, let's say over the past year, the market right now could be described as having a hangover from monetary and fiscal policy support over the past year or two due to the COVID and the government pumping money into people's accounts. And then they would go and open a brokerage account and invest in the market in their specific ways. Uh, we also had uh, fiscal policies that were supporting the economy. And then we also had the, the Fed and monetary policies and all of those things you could argue Maybe they're not ending, but they're not as strong. They're not as big of a, as a tailwind as they were over the past year. And you've seen trading volumes tail off into the end of last year, almost as if uh, the retail public uh, maybe didn't get washed out, but they, they went back to work. They, they moved on with their lives. They're not trading as, as often. Uh, 
So it's just an interesting dynamic to come into this January expiration week where there's so many internal dynamics with the open interest that's been on the books for months mm -hmm. that will expire come this Friday. So you, you've got market makers that have to position their books in accordance with the event, the expiration that's upcoming. So there's a lot of moving parts and it it's not helpful when you have more supply of equity. What I mean there is you had a lot of IPOs and SPACs over the past year, which increased the supply of stock in the marketplace. And if, if you go back to economics class, if the demand for that stock is the same and or drops, the supply is still going higher, you naturally will get reduced or lower prices because of the supply demand dynamic. It's something to keep in mind as the Fed's pivoting in policy. So it explains why the market has dropped as it has. We're trying to find a new equilibrium point. One thing I'm very much looking forward to, especially, well, I think for the entire year is, you know, come December 2022, looking at the month to month options volume to see you know, like everything you said, this euphoric haze, the hangover is starting to hit. So will that, how, how much will it impact the options value that we've seen explode in the past, you know, two to three years? Um, I'm very curious to see that. Uh, and I, I loved how you explained, you know, the, the supply and the demand of everything, especially as it pertains to the SPACs. And, and as this podcast is, is being recorded. It's Thursday, January 20th, about 2 p.m. And I'm looking at this rally, which after the selling we've had, and I, I look and I brought up the beta of stocks. If you look at the highest beta stocks, they're the ones that are up the most today. And if you look at that, those are also the stocks that are the highest short. So to me, for this day, it's kind of just a short squeeze rally. Mm -hmm. Like th those that were selling the market or shorting the market, they're taking some profit today. I'm not seeing any renewed interest in large cap tech, tech names or other areas of the market that lead me to believe that we have stabilized for now. I think we'll have to get through expiration and see how the first few days of post-expiration next week, how they fare out before we'll have any type of bottom that's tradable with a high degree of probability. Right. Uh, like a dead cat bounce. Yeah. It's, I just am not seeing, you know, the, the, the volume nor where the money is going to convince me that, you know, the bottom is in. Yeah. I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you there. Let's officially turn to 2022 as if we haven't already. I always get pumped for this time of the year. I don't know, like the newness of everything, the excitement about goals, opportunities. It's my favorite. It just gets me stoked. Um, so talk to me about some New Year's resolutions. You mentioned that earlier in the pod, uh, trading or personal. Let me see what you got. I have gone back to the basics. And what I mean by that is I'm reading more physical print reading. I bought a copy of Dante Alighieri's The Divine Comedy. 
the inferno, the purgatory, and the paradise. Oh yeah, I'm getting I'm getting through that one. That is a rather slow read with the uh, the prose and and such um, in the translations. And then secondarily, I picked up a very interesting book that was recommended to me. That's called Financial Astrology by Lieutenant Commander David Williams, who was in uh, our armed forces. Thanks to all the armed forces. If you guys are out there listening, we appreciate you guys protecting us. Um, but Mr. Uh, Mr. Williams is very into cycles um, and waves of emotion and prices over time. And it is very overwhelming, but super interesting to know that in the 1920s, in the 1930s, and in the 40s, and even in the 1860s and 70s, people in the financial markets were into predicting prices and they had different theories about time and about cycles and human emotion and even uh, celestial events that dictate our lives that we're not even aware of because we're so into this microscopic social media, impress the next person every day culture that we fail to realize that maybe there's a heartbeat or a rhythm to everything that influences us. I'm sure you've seen strange things occur on a full moon. Oh yeah. Uh, dogs act weird, people act weird. There are more admittances to the hospital and there are more suicides on a full moon than any other day of the week or any other day of the month. So it makes you wonder, maybe there is some granularity to everything that I'm just trying to learn more about so I can piece it together. Um, I'm hoping it doesn't overwhelm my daily routine. I'm trying to take it one step at a time, but some of these things are very profound and very interesting to me. So that that is my New Year's resolution is try to get more informed, more educated um, about investing from a historical perspective. I love that. And I, I'm... I'm hooked on that book. I'm going to have to get that recommendation from you. Not Dante. I, I read Dante 10 years ago. I'll send it to I'm, you. I'm good there, but I definitely am intrigued about that. Uh, it sounds fascinating. I've got the same reading goal, I, I guess you would say. Uh, 12 books in 12 months is is kind of the, the, the baseline for that. You got any other resolutions? I mean, I, I'll tell you, I got one for golf, and that's to get into a single-digit handicap. So we'll see how that goes, I, but. I like your strategy there of 12 books in 12 months because that kind of keeps you on a timeline and a schedule is you got one thing to accomplish, finish this book by the end of the month and then you move on. So I like that. Um, I don't have any golf related goals. Um, personally, I'm caught up in the NFL playoffs and I'm caught up in the reintroduction of golf on a global scale from a gambling point of view. So those two things, I, and it's so cold and bitter here that I, I don't have a swing track. You know, I don't have a, a thing in my garage set up so I can play. Um, I've kind of handicapped myself there. But I, if you're going to be single digits handicapped, we're going to have to play because I like a challenge. It's a lofty goal of mine, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. My advice would be to work on your chipping and putting first. You can cut more strokes off of your game chipping you and putting than you can anywhere else. Which one of my friends have you talked to? I know golfers in general and time away from golf, you're chipping and putting, you lose that touch first. 
Mm-hmm. And if you can, if you can be a good chipper and putter, you can scramble. And if you can scramble, you can save par. And if you can save par, you're going to get close to that single digit handicap. Yeah. I think my friend, uh, earlier this last summer called me a jackass around the greens verbatim. So yeah, that's, that's something to work on. I do want to focus more kind of like on a broader 22 macro scale as far as investing I know you have two picks, um, Carrier Global and Eaton. If you want to talk to about those a little bit, that'd be great. Or if you just want to talk about kind of other sectors and stocks that you're keeping an eye on for the next 12 months. No, I like both of those stocks very much. Eaton is more of a power management company. Uh, they make the charging stations that you'll connect your EV to uh, in public. Uh, they make Produce microgrids, which is another way of saying if the power grid went out in your community, do you have a microgrid that will still provide functional power to whatever military base or to a city or to a company that has a manufacturing or distribution facility? You can set up your own microgrid to separate yourself from the overall power grid. So I like eating a lot. Uh, Carrier Global is a push towards cleaner air in our homes, in our schools, in our businesses. I think COVID has taught us that you have to manage air quality. Their carrier is an HVAC company. So if you get your heating or ventilation or air conditioning done, they'll come in, in with these clean air techniques, uh, scan, scan the air and disinfect it. It's, it's really interesting stuff that I think will be broadly adopted uh, over the next few years. So those are good places. As you know, I'm always into carbon capture. So Mm -hmm. companies that that are trying to reduce carbon in the atmosphere and make the economy run cleaner and more smoothly without the environmental degradation. Um, Companies like Bloom Energy and Baker Hughes are a couple that come to mind. Um, I still like General Electric. Of course, I'm biased being in Cincinnati here. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm, I'm excited to see how the EV space evolves from the manufacturing companies to the battery producers and how it evolves over time. It seems one could argue that there's a lot of supply, you know, there's Rivian's and there's Tesla's obviously, and then Ford and GM have theirs. And then there's Fisker and there's Lucid. I could go go on and on and on and give you all these names of some of them None of us, you know, we haven't even heard of them, but they have a $2 billion market cap. And you're like, wow, I should probably know about this company. So I'm going to, I'm curious how that with the semiconductor shortage and the demand from public and the demand from government to push into the space. I'm very curious to see how that unravels and who are the winners, who perhaps gets bought by another company and, and just, the whole evolution of that space. That's, I'm very interested to see how that'll work out. Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned before, it, it all comes down to the supply and demand. And that touches on another quasi-resolution of mine, honestly influenced and inspired by your trading thesis of, of looking towards the future of for technologies, trends that are going to be environmentally conscious really, or at least have that, have that goal in mind, uh, just to, to learn more about the technology of the future. I 
start, I finished 2021 doing a deep dive on quantum computing and the potential implications of that. And I agree with what you said, like everything involving EVs and charging stations, lithium, all of that stuff, I think is year, a year or two away from implementation, but still very exciting to talk about, I think, as you start the new year. Yeah, and I know a few people that are in the blockchain, and you made me, you said quantum computing, and the two of those, to me, kind of seem to run hand in hand. If you're trying to mine a blockchain or create a new payment structure, you could use quantum computing techniques to accelerate that process. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a convergence of a lot of technologies. Uh, we haven't described the 5G and the, uh, the airport situation. Um, it's kind of sad that they didn't figure that out in, in advance, but there's just a lot of technologies that are changing and the whole evolution of the life and that we live and the way it changes, that, that's the exciting part to me because you, you, you don't know really what you're gonna to get tomorrow. You really have no idea. Things change so rapidly that you're gonna be surprised and it's just good to be prepared. Yeah, and it's good to be prepared. It's good to be informed. I didn't even mention machine learning and artificial intelligence. I mean, we could go for hours talking about you know technology of the future. It may help. Maybe that can be in a, you know its own episode down the road. Uh, but as we wrap up here, another one of my resolutions was to learn more about kind of some macro indicators that aren't readily discussed by news outlets. You know, everybody talks inflation and dollar. Um, I want to learn more about kind of these ancillary, or I guess these alternative indicators like home prices, lumber. Does any of that influence your day-to-day -day strategy or is that just something that if only if it's an extreme, is it really on your radar? The best solution for high prices is in fact high prices because when you have high prices, it requires the manufacturers to amp up supply. And then as you get more supply, demand fluctuates, the prices come back down because of the increased supply. So it, it kind of resolves itself over time. I do look at uh, the year over year changes in commodity prices mm -hmm. uh, for a guide, guide post, you know, of where we've been, where we're at, you know, if crude oil is up 50% year to date or year over year, you know, that could be a, a point in the sand where, you know, people might take profits on crude and might do different things. So I try to look at uh, those round number levels okay. as kind of a 10, 20%, 50%, you know, uh, those type of things. I found from a, from a different point of view and you were asking, you know, different indicators. If you look at the price of corn and overlay that with the price of crude oil, they have a very high correlation. So you can look at different subsets of the market. And if you've got the charting software that you, you just find different things, uh, a copper, obviously, Dr. Mm -hmm. Copper is a, probably the one economic indicator. If you had to say, is the overall global economy growing or declining? You could look at the price of copper and say, if there's demand or if the demand is waning. 
Um, I I hope I summed up your answer. I felt like I no, went you, a little astray. No, no you astray. Abs- absolutely did. It's it is honestly exactly what I was looking for. There is so much out there, so much data. Like, what are a couple just to get? Not that you know you're gonna go over here and buy you know buy copper or or you know buy gold or buy oil, but just something to have a better understanding of what the global economy is doing. Uh, natural gas in Europe is something that I've been starting to watch. Uh, so that I think is a great starting point for both myself in this year of learning, uh, year of conviction learning, I should call it, and uh, for any other uh, retail traders starting out that just need a couple metrics to keep them on a, a straight path. If you've got a medium or a longer term horizon, one of my favorite indicators uh, for those people that are still listening is if you look. <laughs> If you look at the, the yield on a 10-year note and then compare that to the dividend yield on the S&P 500 index, otherwise known as the price-to-earnings ratio, mm-hmm. if you look at those two indicators, when you see bonds yielding more than stocks, stocks tend to underperform. But when you see that the S&P 500 dividend yield is greater than the 10-year treasury yield, it's an added reason for people to park money in equities because they could say to themselves, I could pick up more over time in dividend yields on my stocks and get price appreciation from the stocks than I could by holding it in bonds. Mm-hmm. However, if, the, if that dividend yield on the bond is greater than the, the dividend yield on stocks, there's more incentive to hold your money in bonds. Yep. So if you, if, just those two indicators. Just keep an eye on that over time. You know, it's a more of a medium to long-term um, planning horizon, but that that will keep you out of trouble. And it'll also expose you to periods like during the COVID low where interest rates fell so far to the floor and equities overall still paid a stable dividend yield through that period. In fact, the dividend yield went up. Mm-hmm. So that was a time where equities were even though things were crazy, that was an opportune time based off of this indicator to increase your exposure to equities. Right now, Patrick, the 10-year note is yielding more than the dividend yield on the S&P 500. So that kind of there you go. That kind of creates that uncertainty. We have a Fed, uh, a kind of a lineup change in hockey occurring in the next few months <laughs> and years. There's a lot of I think like three of the seven members who vote in the FOMC committee are being replaced or changing. So that's a lot of uncertainty for the market to to digest because they do not know how these new participants are going to vote. I was just reading about the new participants, how they've come from a more eclectic background. It's the most diverse uh, yet. And they compared it to the early 90s and 2000s that had just basically, you know, one demographic. So, yeah, that's definitely something to watch going forward, too. Very yeah. excited to see that because I, I feel if we have a more diverse central bank, the monetary policy will be less reactive and we'll just set a stable floor so that Americans can live their lives without having to worry about if the Fed's going to increase or decrease interest rates and how that will influence, influence their future decisions. Just give us a stable rate right. and let us all work off it. Yep. Bingo. Couldn't have said it better myself. Well, Chris, 
you have gone above and beyond the call of duty here. This is I, I couldn't think of a better way to start 2022 with this this, this wide ranging episode. So thanks again for coming on, man. Best of luck to you this year. I'm sure we'll talk more. Anything final you want to close with? I just want to thank the listeners and thank you. Thanks, Schaefer's, for putting this on. Happy New Year, everyone. Cheers. Thank you.